Good morning, and we are thankful you're here this morning, and we are thankful and, uh, for the time that hopefully you've had together to spend together with some of your family possibly this week. We're thankful that you've chosen to be with us this morning. Uh, Merry December, I guess it is officially now. Um, I get a lot of grief around here for the things I say sometimes, and uh, I said I was bamboozled recently into putting our Christmas stuff up early, uh, and now that it's December 1st, I think I have to get over that. Uh, I tried to change the radio in the car last week when we were traveling, when Christmas music came on, and I said, no, 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 not anymore. You, it's December now, Thanksgiving has passed, uh, we get to enjoy some of the Christmas tunes. So uh, we're thankful that you're here, we look forward to hopefully a, a good last month of this year. Look forward to closing out some things that we've been studying and doing. Look forward to a new year. God be willing that we'll be able to be together and think about the, the good things this congregation is doing. And we're just thankful that you're a part of our service this morning. We are missing several. Uh, as I was looking around this morning, some who are still gone, who are traveling. Bill and Sylvia had let me know they were going to be at Eastridge this morning for, uh, I believe, their last Victory Sunday that they have a few times a year. Uh, so we're missing some who are various places, uh, but we're thankful that you're here. If you've got your uh, bulletin there, I wanted to mention one thing. I didn't hear if Charles got a chance to mention it. I had stepped out during the announcements, but on the back of your sick list, there is a few pictures and a note uh, from a young man by the name of Grant Majors. We have been praying for Grant for a long time, and we wanted to be sure as we received that word about some good news for Grant uh, that we shared that with you and that you were able to see a little bit about that. Uh, there's a few notes in there from his family as well as a few pictures uh, one thing we try to always say, and, and we're going to be talking about this for the next few Sundays, is that we oftentimes give God all of our problems and all of our concerns and the things we need, and sometimes we're not very good about being thankful for the good news. And so we wanted to share with you some of that good news that has come from Grant. We've been praying for him for a long time for the cancer that he's been going through, the treatments that he's been dealing with. My understanding is not only is he better, but he's actually returned with his family to Korea, um, where I believe they are uh, been working for many years now, and he has not been able to be, and they may not may have not been able to be there for a while as he was going through treatments. But I believe he is better and out of the hospital, and even been able to travel. And so we are thankful for that, and we wanted to share that that good news with you this morning. We're going to begin a series of lessons this morning, uh, over the next three weeks, considering a very important topic. And as I've been looking at this for the last few days and, and weeks or so, it actually kind of took place in my mind beginning a while back as I had a chance to hear two really, really powerful and good lessons on prayer. Uh, and as I've been thinking about it the last few days, I determined it's almost impossible for us to do it in a week. And it's really almost impossible to do it in three weeks, although I don't want to drag it on too long. But for us to take a, a bit of a look at what the Bible has to say about this important subject. A few other people to begin with, a few quotes from a few folks, beginning with Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln said, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for that day. The philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said, prayer does not change God, but it changes him who prays. Mother Teresa said, God speaks in the silence of the heart. Listening is the beginning of prayer. And even our brother Marshall Keeble said, you know, praying to God is like having your phone connected to God. Praying is our hotline. My question is, do you have your phone connected. 
Now, at least three of those folks, as far as we know, were not New Testament Christians. Marshall Keeble, of course, was a well-known preacher in the Brotherhood. But it's all interesting thoughts to get us thinking about this idea of prayer. When we talk about folks in the world who maybe pretend at Christianity sometimes, folks who, who claim to believe in God but don't actually faithfully attend services anywhere, we think about what people know and say about prayer. Many people believe in prayer even if their life doesn't show it. What I'd like for us to do, we're going to touch on this a few times, is, is kind of an introductory lesson this morning on prayer. Hopefully come back next week and talk about God's role in prayer and then finish up with our role. So I don't want it to overlap, although there will be a little bit of that along the way. But I want you to know, first of all, this morning, here's what I think about prayer. For me, I think we could say that prayer is probably our most underutilized weapon. Now, if you've got your Bible, you may be turning to Ephesians chapter 6 there and verses 10 through 20, where we are familiar with the passage where Paul talks about the whole armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 20 is the whole section. Now, I think what's interesting about that is oftentimes we read through this section and we stop with about six elements of this armor. In fact, I have a coin this morning here. It's similar to a challenge coin. It was given to me recently, and I've really come to appreciate it. But it talks about the whole armor of God on it. And it lists six parts of the whole armor of God. It begins there in about verse 13 or 14 and goes through about verse number 17. And so when we think about it, there are six things that are listed there that we know. The, the sword of the Spirit, the breastplate of righteousness, and so on and so forth. But don't miss verse number 18 there. We'll back up and begin the thought in 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And we stop there, but we forget verse 18, which says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. You might say that prayer is our most underutilized tool. Uh, that's fine as well. We could throw in other synonyms there. I like the word weapon in the sense that here we're talking about the whole armor of God. And we so very often list all of those things that are there and rightfully so. It's what we need and we talk about the sword of the spirit being the one that we attack with and the only defense there or the only offensive weapon that we have. But we forget about prayer. And the role that prayer can have in the life of a faithful child of God. We'll talk about that more again in just a few moments as well. We cannot forget the role of prayer as a Christian. And not just for me, but as a tool or a weapon in the fight against Satan. All of those things are important there. All of those things that are listed. But do not stop at the end of verse 17 and leave it at that. Let's consider as well verse number 18 that we need to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. I've titled the lesson Deeper in Prayer. That was sort of part of the theme or the lesson, the title of one of the lessons that I had heard. And, and the thing about it is ultimately this is like any other thing that we talk about in this assembly or even in our Bible classes. In fact, we talked about it in our class this morning. That no matter what the preacher thinks, oftentimes the sermon is just simply reminding you of what you already know. So I don't think that I can get up here and tell you anything that is just earth shattering or something that you've never thought about because you've probably read it and know it. 
So like anything else that we talk about from this pulpit or in this assembly, deeper or going deeper in prayer is a similar thing. I can't do it for you. No one else here can do it for you. Do you want to know how to have a better prayer life? How to go deeper in prayer to God? Well, for better or for worse, it comes back to you and it comes back to me as well. What are we willing to do? In Luke chapter 11 and verse number 1, the disciples of Jesus ask a very simple yet very important question of their master and their leader. In Luke 11 verse 1, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. I'm not the master. I don't have it all figured out. In fact, as Brian said, even in class this morning and other ministers oftentimes say, The best lesson is the one that steps on my own toes. And I'm telling you that I've already crunched mine enough in the last few weeks thinking about how I could be better in prayer. I don't have it all figured out. I'm not the master. I can't answer in the place of Lord Jesus Christ. But we can open our Bibles together and study for just a few moments what God tells us about prayer. To begin this week, I thought it might be helpful if we consider what we are really talking about. What is prayer? And let's understand more about it so we can begin to apply it. As is sometimes the case, and we do this sometimes very often in the lessons here, but when we are attempting to study something, what helps us is to attempt to decide what something is not. And so we're going to begin this morning thinking about what prayer is not. First of all, prayer is not wishing and hoping. Now, some of you may recall the 1964 Dusty Springfield song, I believe, was actually written by Burt Bacharach. But it goes on something to say besides wishing and hoping in that chorus or that verse and thinking and praying. Unfortunately, that's what many people often treat prayer as, wishing and hoping. We petition God and we're just wishing that it might happen. Uh, we're kind of crossing our fingers. I, I'm gonna think I may mention that a couple times through these first few points. But but prayer is not wishing and hoping. When we want something or we're desirous of something, that's sometimes the way that we feel it might happen. Our children sometimes ask for large things, whether it be for a holiday like Christmas or their birthday or something. They ask for something big, and they're just kind of wishing and hoping that their parents will say yes. When God talks about prayer, I think that's about as far as we can get. I'm going to give you several of these, and there's only a couple in the bulletin uh, as far as our outline goes. But in connection with that, prayer is not on a wing in a prayer, as we sometimes say. Now, as best as I could determine, there was a a movie around 1942 that maybe was one of the first to use this line. but, But no doubt you've probably heard it in your lifetime over the years, on a wing and a prayer. And if you look it up, if you try to determine a definition, it's kind of something along the lines of to do something unprepared and hope. So we go back to wishing and hoping. And if you're like me, sometimes we admit that we enter into uh, prayer unprepared. It's just something that we kind of do on a wing in a prayer, wishing and hoping. It's not just crossing your fingers, hoping that number one, God hears, and number two, that he'll just say yes to everything that we ask. I don't think as we look throughout scripture that that is the picture at all. Number three, I don't think that prayer is a negotiation. What are you going to trade with God? We talked about this last week in the lesson. We talked about Thanksgiving. What do you get the person who has everything? 
What does God need from you and me? Nothing. So what are we going to trade with him for? But this is what we do. This is the way that some people oftentimes pray. Maybe you've heard it said in a movie before. Maybe you've even heard someone you know say it. Well, God, I never ask for much. Right? Well, I'm just negotiating because I really never ask for much. So if you'll just give me this, that's the way we treat it sometimes. Or another one that we oftentimes say, and we hear certainly in in the movies and on TV, but God, if you'll just give me blank, then I will never blank again, whatever it may be. We're trading. We're going to negotiate with God. Give me what I want, and I will give you what? What are we going to offer to the God of heaven, the one who has everything? But that is oftentimes how we treat prayer as a negotiation. Now, we're not even going to have time. I don't plan in the next couple of weeks to get into prayer and sometimes the parts of prayer. We very often say that, you know, we need to thank God. We need to praise God. We ask for things sometimes. And there are several things that we can do in prayer and should do in prayer. But how often do we open it up as a negotiation? You know, hey, God, I'm thankful for who you are and all that you've done, but I need or I'll do Or I'll offer to you if you'll just give to me. And then finally this morning is for your consideration of what prayer is not. It should not be a last resort. It's not only for the emergencies. And here's where if I'm not careful. I did step on my own toes. Because I think about our children and the example that we're trying to set for them. If you're like our family, sometimes we do better at prayer and family Bible time and other things. And other times, maybe we neglect it a little bit. We get very busy. We don't take the time to stop. And what happens is, then something happens. An emergency occurs. I think even recently, about the last year, as as Hannah and her family have faced the death of, of two of her grandparents. And the thought crossed my mind, how can I as a father to my children, stop in the middle of the day or at night and ask God to pray for, that we could pray for, and ask God to bless her grandmother who is sick and we think is about to die when we've not prayed to God in two weeks. Now, that may not have been the exact situation then, but have you ever found yourself there? It's only in the emergency that you stop and think about it. Never in the good times. Never from day to day sometimes do we stop and think about prayer. And if we're not careful or if we're being honest, really, then we realize the hypocrisy in it. I'm going to stop now and ask for you to pray for this person who is sick that I know of. You're not heard from me any time before now, but that's okay. It must not be our last resort. It must be our first thought. It must not be our last resort. It must be our first response. If you find out that someone in this congregation is sick during the day and you want to stop and pray, you should. But it shouldn't be the first time that you've done it in 24 hours, 48 hours, four weeks. I don't know. We can only answer for ourselves. But it's important that we consider that prayer should not be a last resort. But if we're being honest, a lot of times we'll find ourselves in one of these situations sometimes. And the only thing we can do, of course, at that point is stop and correct and move on to what prayer is. So what is it? Well, first of all, I would say that it's pouring out your soul before God. If you've got your Bibles, you might turn over to 1 Samuel. If you were with us as we covered 1 Samuel a few months ago in our Book of the Month Club, uh, I touched on this for just a moment, but it's one of my favorite stories 
in all the Bible, and no, not just because it talks about Hannah, but that also helps as well. First uh, Samuel chapter 1 and as well into chapter 2. You recall that Hannah is barren, and not only is she barren, but she is heartbroken that she is barren. And not only is she heartbroken, she's heartbroken because the other wives, or at least one other wife in this instance, is making fun of her and picking on her because she is barren. So she's going to go to God and make a vow. The key to this story, of course, there in 1 Samuel 1, is that as she is doing this, there has been a party going on. So as Hannah separates herself from the party and goes to pray to God, beginning in about verse 10, it says that she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. We're going to ask you that several times over the next few weeks, have you been there? Most of us probably have been. And so she makes a vow beginning there. And going down to verse number 12, it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli, who was passing by, watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, and only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. So Eli says, this must be a problem. She's been drinking a little bit too much tonight, and so she just simply seems to be moving her lips and nothing is coming out. And in verse 15, she answers as he sort of accosts her or accuses her. And she says, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Pouring out your soul. Have you ever done that in prayer? Most of us would probably say yes. We've spent some time in prayer to God, pouring out our soul. We understand what that means. I remember this time in the not so long ago when I did know this nice young lady also named Hannah and I was kind of sweet on her just a little bit and, and in that time that you smile a lot and you act kind of weird when you think that you're in love with somebody, I, who loves to sleep very much, would sit up at night on the phone, and of course not even separated by a mile in our dorm rooms, but would sit up on the phone and would listen as this sweet young lady would pour out her soul to this young man. And every once in a while I might do it as well and she might coax some out of me back to her. But when we are in that type of loving relationship and even in that type of dating relationship, sometimes we pour out our soul to one another. So we understand what that means, but is that what we do in prayer? Prayer is, for us, needs to be a, a type of sharing, if you will. Not that God needs it again, not that he doesn't understand or already know, but a pouring out of ourselves, of our concerns and our worries, our fears and our doubts, our trials and our tribulations, praying to God, pouring out our soul to him. Prayer is, is talking to God very simply in a sense. I know you've heard the statistic before, but, but essentially a lot of different surveys would agree the number one cause of divorce, possibly, often, the number one cause of issues in relationships is communication, a lack of communication, communication that doesn't work, that does not go very well. He has spoken to us by his word, and we must speak to him. Pouring out our cares and concerns, our worries and our doubts, everything that is on our heart and mind. We should pray that way to God. If we want to have a relationship with him, we have to communicate. We have to talk to him. So I think that prayer is pouring out your soul 
before God. And I love that example that Hannah gives for us there in 1 Samuel 1. Number two this morning, I think that prayer is a privilege. I keep saying I think, but I want to use some scripture to explain why I think that. You're familiar with James chapter 5 and verse number 16, one of the more famous New Testament passages on prayer. But it says there, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You see, I think that prayer is a privilege for those who are righteous. Don't misunderstand, that's not perfect. That's not those, those who are holier than everyone else, but those who are trying to live a righteous life. We may come back to this verse in the next couple of weeks as we consider this and break it down, but I don't think we can leave any part of that out. The effectual fervent, the Greek language there translated is not the best sometimes or the way that we read it, but I think we get the original Greek word is our idea of energy. We get energy, an energetic prayer, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. We can't leave any part of that out if we want it to avail much or accomplish much. Prayer is a privilege. You may recall Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 9, and we will talk about this, God willing, next week as we think about um, God's role in prayer. But it's a privilege for the children of God. Jesus, when he is going to give this model prayer, oftentimes called the Lord's Prayer, but the model prayer there in the Sermon on the Mount, and even in Luke chapter 11, as he's going to teach his disciples to pray, he begins by saying what? Our Father. Prayer is a privilege for those who are connected to God, children of God. We talked about this several months ago as we had a lesson on whether or not God hears the prayers of sinners. That's a little more uh, complicated and longer than we can touch on in just a second. But essentially, the idea is that God hears the prayers of those who are connected to him, who are his children. In fact, if you've got your Bible, look there in 1 Peter chapter 3, in verses 10 through 12. This is one passage, 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12. This is one place where, where it says, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. What does that sound like? Someone who is trying to live righteously. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is essentially probably the very simple summation to that answer. Does God hear the prayers of sinners? But it is a privilege. Prayer is a privilege for those who are trying to live righteously, who can have their prayers approved of God. And then third, and for our purpose this morning, if you've got your Bible, look in Philippians chapter 4 and verses 6 through 7. I think, and I think we can promote from these verses that prayer is a key to anxiety. And let's hear it together again, although I know that you are very familiar with this passage from the New King James Version. <clears throat> Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, we talked about this passage last week in regards to Thanksgiving. We're touching on it this morning, and I can promise you we're going to talk about it again next week. 
when it pertains to how God is involved in prayer. But look, I'm not here to tell you that prayer can and will solve all of your problems with just a snap of a fingers or a flick of a magic wand. But the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through the divine word of God, says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. But how are we not anxious? The key is, in everything, by prayer. The key to not being anxious is, in everything, by prayer. To pray to God, to talk to Him, to communicate to Him. I've never really been a fan of the phrase, just give it over to God. Or some people say, let go and let God. Uh, We don't have time this morning again to debate the the theological implications of that. And I'm not saying those are, are necessarily totally wrong. I see the idea behind it. And that's of just simply saying, I'm not going to fret and worry because I have made my request to God. God certainly asks us to be obedient, to follow after his word. He doesn't simply say that we can just pray to him and then not worry about anything. We can't ask him to pay for every bill that we have and just give us money and then not ever go out and do anything to work and help earn that money to take care of our family. So I understand the idea behind those phrases. But even in our anxiety, in our anxious times, we need to pray to him. We just sang and we ask you very often in class and in this pulpit to consider the words you're singing. We just sang the words, hold my trembling hand. Hear me when I call. Right before the lesson. In seasons of distress and grief. In my sweet hour of prayer. Hear me. Do we mean that when we sang those words? That even in our distress and grief. Even when we are trembling and anxious about all of these things that are beyond our control. That we almost know that God's not just going to take it away with a snap of a finger. Or just in, in a magical second. And that's frustrating to us. But prayer is a key to anxiety. It won't solve everything. It doesn't solve every problem that we have. But if we want to go deeper in prayer, we must understand what it is. And I think that it can help us with those types of thoughts. I'm going to ask you several times in the next few weeks, how do you pray? Now, God be willing, we're going to come back in two weeks and we're going to talk about our role in prayer and in that I'd like to talk about maybe exactly how we pray but we will get there in a few weeks but how do you pray in a general sense and I want to leave you with one thing that will lead us into our thoughts next week next week thinking about what God's role is in our prayers the one thing I'd like to leave you with is that prayer is about a relationship we've touched on it already but prayer is about a relationship It is our opportunity to talk to God, to bring it back to our earthly relationships for just a moment, and even our families, your mom or your dad, your spouse or your children. You have to talk. You can't send God a text message. You can't send him a tweet. You can't email him. And so often in today's society, in in 2019, we have numerous ways to communicate with each other, and many of them involve little to no spoken words. That helps us in a very quick matter sometimes to tell someone something. But you must talk to him. Bring it back to even a situation that you might have found yourself in this week. 
In regards to relationships, when maybe your, your crazy aunt or uncle or your cousins or, or someone that you don't see but once a year tries to give you advice or tell you what to do or how you should handle a situation, we don't always handle that well. Why is that? Because we don't have a relationship with them. We have a blood relationship. We may see them once or twice a year. We don't have that close relationship with someone. You have to have a relationship with God. You must talk to him, which is why Jesus begins that model prayer with the phrase, our father. A relationship, of course, though, can't begin without some type of commitment. When we think about being in a relationship with God, we have to commit to him. I joked about Hannah and I and our dating there for just a moment, but we could have poured out our soul to each other. But unless there was a commitment to one another, there was going to be no further relationship it might have ended and that would have been it. That's great that we would pour out our soul to God, but we must be committed to him. And this morning, there are probably some here in this audience who have never committed to him. Just as in our earthly relationships, we think about the idea of marriage. The big commitment involves a ring. It involves going fully into that relationship. To fully commit to Christ is to put him on in baptism. And maybe you need to do that this morning, allowing his blood to wash away your sins. Or maybe you've turned your back on your relationship. Again, that relationship between us could have stopped. It could have ended. We have earthly relationships all the time that end, and oftentimes because one person wants to walk away. You can't talk to God, the Father, with Jesus as your advocate unless you are on speaking terms unless you have a relationship. And this morning, through confession, repentance, and prayer, you can come back to him. Prayer, it's important. It should be an everyday part of our lives. Over the next few weeks, I hope that you'll consider how to go deeper in prayer and your prayer life in general. Now that we understand what it is and what it is not, maybe we can begin to touch on some of those things. But it certainly, most certainly involves a relationship. And this morning, whether you need to commit to him or come back to him, we want to pray with you and for you. If you need to make a change as we stand and as we sing.